Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. So glad to be here with you guys. Hope that you had an incredible turkey day a couple days ago. Um, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Nick Gillespie. I am the community life pastor here at Covenant Church. And so that means I get to do a lot of things with community and helping people connect. Jackie had kind of mentioned that um, when she was up here this morning, that the church isn't like a building, even though we meet in a building. The church is a people, and we're a part of not just this people, but we're a part of God's family that exists all around the globe, and that has existed from the beginning of time. And so really, the church is, is, is those people. It's that family. And so we're actually, we're in a series called we. When I say in the series, what I mean is that kind of once a quarter, we've been kind of dropping in and just taking a look at what is a church? Who are we? What makes us the church? The very first week, we kind of looked at this all the way back. I think it was like in February or March or something like that, that we, the church, are a worshiping people, that we are united because we worship and follow one guy. We follow Jesus Christ. Uh, we took a look after that, that the church is a place to belong, that you have a place in this, in this community. You have gifts to give, and uh, you have a purpose uh, amongst these people. Uh, we also then t- took a look uh, in September at how the church, that we are people who are called. We're people who have a mission to be lived out. And this morning, we're going to take a look at how um, we're uh, people who are learning people. Sorry, my phone is buzzing right now in my pocket, and it's oh, so annoying. Um, I'm just messing with you. It really wasn't buzzing. Uh, Hey, you've had that happen before, right? Like you're in the middle of saying something, sharing a deep part of your life, and that person sitting across the table all of a sudden is super distracted by this device right here, right? And you're like, what is going on here? Aren't I important too? You know, you thought that of yourselves. You're like, what in the world? The pastor of all guys is the guy that's checking his phone, right? So I really wasn't. Uh, it's, it's interesting how our attention can be drawn away by this device And it's been designed to do so. This device has been designed to capture your attention. In fact, it tells you every single week how many hours you spend per day on this thing. This week, I'm below an hour, which I don't know. The only reason I can account for that is that Thursday and Friday, I didn't even pick it up. But normally, I'm on this thing like hours a day because it's how we like live live life, right? Like we do work and we communicate with our friends. We make plans, communicate with our spouse through it. We check this news check the score updates, we check our email. We do so much stuff on this device. If you've seen the uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, it's on, uh, it's on Netflix, it, it really kind of unpacks sort of the insidious nature of our phones and our devices and social media that they've been designed, they've been designed to capture our attention that they might be able to trade in what's called human futures, that the documentary t- talks about how tech companies are trading in human futures. What does that mean? That they're trading in the conditioning and the predicting of the very things that we're going to do. And they sell it on the open market to the highest bidder. And so the more time that we spend on this thing, the more that they're able to sell away. And, you know, if you've been on TikTok, and you just do something as simple as this, two hours can fly by like that, you know, right? 
I don't really know because I don't really do TikTok, but some people do. I don't say this to kind of bash phones, okay, because they are an incredible blessing to us as well. All I say is that the tech companies have tapped into something about God's design. That the way that we live, the way that we live comes from how we think. Tech philosopher and writer Jaron Lanier says this. He says what they figured out, tech companies figured out, is that if they can change your thoughts, they can change what you do, they can thus change who you are. Change your thoughts, change what you do, change who you are. Like God has made it this way. God has made that we don't, we're not robots. We don't just do what God tells us. God informs us. We think, and as thinking rational beings, it's from that place in our mind that we're able to, to, then, to then live. So for us to be the church, to live the transformed life that God has given us to live, that desires for us to live, it begins with us renewing the way that we think. Our big idea this morning is this, that the transformed life it's a process of renewing your minds. The transformed life is a process. It's ongoing. You know, from birth to grave, our mind is always being renewed. It's always being changed. And the goal isn't so much just to do the right things, do what God tells us to do. It's to actually think with the information the way that God thinks. So we're going to be in a passage this morning, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. This is, these are two of the richest verses in the whole New Testament. There's a lot that Paul packs into these two small verses. We're gonna do what we can this morning to unpack those this morning. And ultimately, we'll first we'll kind of take a look at some of the big concepts that Paul brings up in these two verses. Then we'll take a look at what does Paul mean by renewing our mind and what does it look like to renew our mind. And finally, we'll end, I'll end with kind of a, a big application, a takeaway of, hey, here's what you can do next with what we were talking about. Because, you know, it's, it's a heady subject. Get no laugh on that. that a, I'm not a punny person, but that was kind of a pun. Um, all right, so Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. So Paul packs a lot in here, all right? He talks about God's mercies, talks about being a living sacrifice, talks about the difference between being conformed and being transformed. He talks about discerning God's will and living this good and perfect life. Man, these are big ideas. Let's do what we can to kind of unpack these. First, what are God's mercies? What does he mean by God's mercies? Well, we're in chapter 12, meaning for 11 chapters, Paul has been saying stuff. He's been saying something, right? And really, the first 11 chapters are Paul unpacking to the Roman church the extent of God's mercies. He lays out for them how it is that God saved them from their sins and how he brought them into this ability to be transformed. And so kind of three big things that I think Paul is saying about transformation. One, transformation is possible because we're liberated from our sin. God's mercy liberates us from our sin. Sin. Now, we don't see the word sin in this text, but he said it prior. He said that the uh, Roman church was made up of, of converted Roman pagans as well as Jews. And he said to, these, to this mixed group of people, he said, hey, you Romans, you were enslaved to the passions and desires of your own flesh. Whatever you wanted to do is what you did. 
Whatever your culture wanted you to, do, you to do is what you did. And so he's saying to them, hey, you lived based on whatever you thought was best. And you live for you. And then he's also kind of saying to the Jews in uh, the first 11 verses, he said, hey, you guys tried to, tried to please God, but only to check it off the box. You really want to do whatever you want to do. You want to God off your back, and so you would obey the law so much as it freed you from the burden of actually having to follow God and be loyal to him and build a relationship with him. And so what Paul says is that, you know, you are dead in your trespasses. You, you did not have the life of God in you, and yet God sent his son Jesus as the sacrifice of the payment of your sin, as a gift that you could then be reunited with God, that you could experience his love and you can experience a new life. And he unpacks all of this in 11 rich chapters, the extent of God's mercy. All right, so transformation is possible because God has liberated us from our sin through his son Jesus. But he also says of transformation that transformation is a responsive love. He says, be a living sacrifice. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything to us. A living sacrifice? Like, I don't know, how can you sacrifice? How can you kill a thing and then live? That doesn't make sense to us. But Paul said a living sacrifice to them because it would have made sense to them. In their world, both Roman pagans and Jews, they understood sacrifice. The way you live your life, the way that you are able to gain favor from, the, from God or the gods was through sacrifice. Romans offered daily sacrifices or incense offerings to their ancestors or to the local god or goddesses um, to Caesar. To them, it was how they like went about living their life. And if I were to kind of caricature it a certain way, it would be like this. It would be like superstition, okay? It would be like superstition. It's like this. I, I used to be an athlete. I'm not an athlete anymore. I work out a little bit, but I'm not an athlete anymore. I used to be an athlete. In order to compete, I trained. I practiced, I trained, I learned the skills, I studied my competition, all to prepare to, to get to the weekend for the competition. And I worked hard at doing it. And while I put in all those hours of prep work and sweating and grinding it out, you know, in order to get ready for, the, uh, in order to get ready for my competition, I also needed my lucky socks. I mean, it didn't work. I, there's no way I was going to win apart from my lucky socks. You see, we, when you are an athlete or maybe you're a fan, you understand the necessity that you need a little bit of that juju magic that's going on. Yeah, Ohio State might or might not win, but shoot, they didn't play yesterday because you didn't wear your lucky jersey around all week. Do you mean you only wore it for one day, not two days? You know, it's kind of, the Roman mind was kind of like this. Work hard, be diligent, serve your country, but make sure you have the gods on your sides. Make sure you have the help of your ancestors. And so they would venerate the gods as a way of, of having them sort of help them in the process of living their life, accomplishing their goals. And Paul says, it doesn't work like that. God's mercies came free. They came free. You didn't deserve them. You didn't earn them. And there's nothing that you can do in order to have God give you favor. God gives you favor because he chooses through, to, through his son, Jesus. Now you are to respond. You're to be, he says, a living sacrifice. And I would say it is to be living in a responsive love to the mercies of God. Ted and Florence, Ted and Florence met when they were in high school. Ted was 16 and Florence was 14. And they fell in love. They fell in love. And they courted all throughout high school and they got married shortly after high school. And it was shortly after their marriage that Ted was sent off to fight 
for our country in World War II. He was sent over to Europe to serve our country, and he was there several years. And it was during that time that Florence and Ted remained faithful to one another. They continued to build their relationship, cultivate their love for one another through letter writing, right? Staying faithful to each other. When Ted got back, when Ted got back, they took up life again. They got jobs. They built a house. They had kids. Raised their kids. They had grandkids. For 72 years, they built a life together. They built a relationship. They learned to love each other. And after 72 years, Ted's beloved Florence passed away when he was in his late 80s. For after 72 years, Ted couldn't just forget Florence. It wasn't like in his heart she ceased to exist or his life ceased to have meaning apart from his attachment and relationship with her. He went every day for five years in a row to visit her. As a man in his late 80s, early 90s, three buses in order to get to the gravesite to deliver flowers every day, 1,300, over 1,300 visits without missing a beat. And when he was interviewed by the local uh, news, news station, and they asked him, why do you do this? Why do you go and visit Florence? He said this, he said, I owe her that. He said, she loved me for 72 years. I just want to say thank you. You see, Paul could have said, in view of God's mercies, obey the Ten Commandments. In view of God's mercies, you better give that check to the church. In view of God's mercies, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And instead, he gave them a word picture. Be a living sacrifice. For us, we're to be Ted. God gave us everything. And in gratefulness of his love and what he's given us, we live this way where every single day is flavored and through the lens of a love relationship with our Heavenly Father who made us and who has saved us. Transformation happens because we're responding daily to the mercies of God. So transformation happens because we're liberated from our sin. Transformation is this response of love. Transformation is also set against a love of the world. Transformation is set against a love of the world. Paul gives us a contrasting idea. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I mean, if you were to ask probably some people outside of the church, they might have a negative opinion about what we're doing right here. They might be saying, hey, if you go to church, they just want you to conform. They want you to behave a certain way. They want to control your behavior, right? They want to brainwash your thinking. There's some that probably think that about religion and about the church. But Paul says something different. He says it's the world who's trying to conform you and who does conform you. And it's only through God that you're actually able to experience transformation. And the reason is this, that the world needs consumers. The world needs consumers, but God needs nothing. God is the only being... God is the only being that is self-existent. He's the only one that is sufficient of himself. God sent his son to die for our sins. And even if we didn't repent of our sins, even if we didn't ever receive him, not a single person ever received him, he still would have done the same thing because it's who he, he is. It's what he does. He's not dependent on our response or us acknowledging or giving anything to him. He's sufficient in of himself. But the world doesn't work unless it has us enter into this, it's this social contract. They give us stuff and we give them stuff. They'll give us a good life if we give them X, Y, and Z. Just think of cancer cult, cancel culture. You don't agree with them, then they're done with you. And there's so many examples of this that we, can, we could take a look at. 
One of the most transformed lives I've ever witnessed in my time as a pastor and minister was several years ago when I was uh, with the campus ministry of Crew, and I met this young man uh, who came into our, our crew meeting. He was, from the, uh, he was from the inner city of Columbus, and through grinding and through some tough work, he was the only one in his family, the first one in his family to actually go to college. He made his way up here to, to BGSU, and coming from that place, he had hopes and dreams of fame and fortune. And he was able to get it. He was super talented. Very talented at, uh, at, uh, at rapping and, and being a lyricist. He had a dynamic personality. I mean, on the weekend, this guy and some of his buddies would throw parties. Four or 500 people would come out to his parties. They'd pay $5 a cover charge. He'd make bank on a weekend. Huge, thousands of people following him on social media. He was getting there. Fame and fortune was his goal. Well, when he showed up at Crew, there's something inside of him that longed to have peace with God. No matter how much he was winning on the outside, on the inside, he knew that he wasn't whole. He had shame and he had guilt. And he knew the way that he was operating people was he was using them for his own benefit and his own gain. And something didn't seem right about that. And as him and I began to meet, we cultivated a deep friendship. We looked at the scriptures. He came to know the love of Jesus in his life he repented, he received God, and everything about him changed. Complete transformation. No longer was it about winning people to come to his giant parties. He began to lead people to Bible study with him and some others to take a look at scriptures. His whole purpose of how he lives life completely, radically changed. I mean, I don't really want to go into it, but the things that he's doing now, he lives back in Columbus. The way he lives his life now is incredible, how he gives his life away to mission to love others. But a deciding point came for him at, uh, in his senior year of uh, college. A record label from L.A. flew him and his people out to L.A. to wine and dine him for the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, they slid a contract across the table. They offered him some huge sum of money, a number with a whole bunch of zeros afterwards that some kid, you know, in the inner city of Columbus dreamed of having. It was right here in front of him. He read it. He read their terms. He slid it back across the table and he said, this is not for me. And he flew home. I said no to it. I would talk to him afterwards. And I was like, how did you say no? You know, even as a minister, I'm like, how did you say no to this? I mean, it was everything that you've been working for. He's like, I saw it. They wanted me to sell my soul to them. And they would make me rich and famous. I'd give them the license of, to do whatever they want with me. And I would be rich and famous, but I have to give my life away. That's the way the world works. But God doesn't work that way. He gave himself before he asked us to receive him. He gave everything to us and he continues to do so. The world, the world demands us to conform. It's God who gives us liberation, gives us transformation because of his free love. So how do we do this? How is it that we think differently? How do we renew our minds? How is it that we engage in this transformed life? As God, as Paul says, it starts with renewing our minds. Well, the, uh, just remind us, the idea is that the transformed life is a process of renewing our minds. It happens over time. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I got my driver's license. And like a lot of 16-year-old young men, I made dumb decisions. So, but I remember being super excited about uh, getting my license. And at the time, I had a girlfriend. I'm like, hey, we're going out. I'm taking you out on the town. It's going to be awesome. You know, whatever. We're going to go to the inner city. And we're going like, to get like, great food. And we're going to go out to entertainment and all this kind of stuff. And then her dad said, no. I 
I was offended. He wouldn't let his daughter come out with me with my newly minted driver's license to hit up the town and show his daughter a good time? He said no. Well, you know, at 16, the 16-year-old Nick was like appalled that Steve would say that, but the 38-year-old Nick agrees with Steve. He should not have let his daughter go out with me when I was 16 years old. What changed? I've got $2 of my own sitting right there. That's what changed. Once I had new information, once I, I understood things from a new perspective, I didn't think the same way anymore, right? Something changes here. Renewing our mind is this. Renewing our mind, it's a work of Jesus in your life that gives you access to new information, new ways of thinking that provide a new path for living. Renewing of our mind is Jesus working in our life, providing us with new information that we didn't have before, new ways of thinking that we weren't able to access or weren't empowered uh, to be able to think before that provide a new way, a new path for us to live. So let's press into this a little bit. Renewing our mind, it means saturating your minds with new information. Renewing your mind is intaking new information. It's learning. It's learning. God has provided his scripture. He's provided his word for us to learn from, for us to, to be in, to, to study, to understand. He's provided the word, his son, in flesh. When we wonder, what, is, what would God do or what would God say? We look at Jesus. And we say, that's what God would do. That's what God did say. Jesus is the living word. We have ancient creeds that the church has handed down one generation after another that we can learn and study. We have other thinkers. So we're able to access new information, but predominantly his truth in his scriptures. And we saturate ourselves in it. We think about it. We spend time in it. We let ourselves just kind of take it in and analyze it. Uh, the IKEA did uh, a really cool kind of social experiment uh, several years ago. Um, they, uh, they put two plants in a high school in Sweden, kind of 10, 15 feet apart. And you can actually look it up on YouTube if you want to. Uh, they put like uh, two plants 10, 15 feet apart. And they both were kind of encased. They were encased in this like plastic box and both about four feet high. And on loop, they had two different mes messages being spoken over them for 30 days in a row. So they had a camera fixated on these plants, kind of what would happen to them if they just took in two different messages. So the one plant, I mean, it was just hated on for 30 days, you know? It was bullied, bullying language, you know? So you're ugly. Your root structure is so weak and thin, you know, whatever it might be. You know, people look at you and they have that gag reflex in them, you know? And so whatever it was, like this, this plant was like hated on. And this plant was adored. My, you're looking good today. You just put a smile on someone's face. Look a little greener. And what you actually watch happen in this time-lapse loop of this video is you actually watch the one plant get greener and actually perk up. And the other plant actually wilts and gets brown. You see, when we take in the information of God, when we take in his word, when we're in it, our spiritual person grows and thrives. It just happens. We're taking in the messages and the truth of God. And apart from that, our spiritual person does not grow and thrive. It wilts. So we must, if we're going to renew our minds, we must take in and saturate our mind, our heart, with God's information, with God's word. Renewing our mind is also accessing new ways of thinking provided by his spirit to actually think the thoughts of God. 
to think the thoughts of God. Paul says this in another, um, another letter in 1 Corinthians. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. And we impart this not in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What's Paul saying? He's saying that the greatest minds, Aristotle, Nietzsche, Stephen Hawking, these guys, men and women, might have been brilliant, but if they didn't have the spirit of God, they didn't have the thoughts of God. It's those who have the spirit of God, who have received the spirit of God in their life, who actually have the ability to understand God's will, to understand what God is thinking. Nobody knows your mind but you. Nobody knows your mind but you. Nobody knows God's mind other than the person whom God reveals himself to, and he reveals himself through his Holy Spirit. Now, this is a process. When we think of like hearing God, we don't, we don't think of just necessarily hearing a voice or, or discerning it right away. That's why Paul says that you may discern the will of God, meaning it's going to take time to come to understand and hear what God's voice sounds like and how the Spirit leads and how the Spirit moves and works. That's why it's a, renewal is a lifelong process. But we do it in tandem with the Spirit. We do it walking with the Spirit, being attentive to His Spirit and how His Spirit is moving in us and what He's drawing our attention to as we take in his information, as we saturate our minds with his truth in his word. So renewing our minds, taking in new information, renewing our minds, new ways of thinking provided by the Spirit, but also renewing is walking a new path with others. Walking, renewing our mind is walking a new path with other people. What's really interesting here is that Paul says, present your bodies as a singular living sacrifice. So he says, your bodies, the church, not your body, your bodies as a living sacrifice. For us to be this community that responds to the mercy of God in love, we do it together. We link arms together because it's not just about, we're not robots, we take in information and then act. We must, must exist with one another, learning together, learning together, and then acting together. We cannot love apart from one another. We cannot learn apart from one another. I am so grateful to my community group and to my Tuesday morning men's group. And uh, I don't know, this is just going to sound arrogant, but it's, it's tr the truth also. I mean, I'm in seminary. I'm a seminarian. I have logged more hours in the scriptures than most people I know. I've studied the scriptures in Hebrew and in Greek. And so when I show up to groups, I'm not showing up because I, I think someone's going to like give me new information, although that might happen. That's not why I show up. I show up because there is something about understanding the gospel and living the gospel where it's with other people. What I get from these men and women that I'm in community with is I get to see the gospel in their life. I get to see them change. I get to see how they're applying the gospel to their parenting to their relationship with their spouse or to at their work or the way they, they live with their neighbors. And it fleshes it out for me that I can understand it. When I share my thoughts and the way I'm thinking, what I'm learning, I'm able to receive feedback and encouragement, correction in community. We can't do that isolated and alone. And we can't do that just on a Sunday morning for an hour. This is one way, me talking at you. But in community, we can actually talk with one another and discuss and learn together. You know, uh, in the social dilemma, I mean, they show like kind of the inner recesses of Apple and like Google, like 
you know, hidden away like underground. Hundreds of computers networked together, taking information, analyzing, synthesizing, and acting upon it. And that's called artificial intelligence. These computers are linked together, are communicating together. If computers need community in order to do what they need to do, how much more do we need community? And yet so many of us are just tend to be kind of isolated with our thought life, isolated with the information that we have. And that's not the way that we're designed. And if we're just doing it detached from the, the corporate community of God's church, we're, we're not going to be thriving. We're not going to be transforming. We're not going to be able to experience the life that God has for us. And so as we close here, I mean, I want to really, I want to challenge you. Do you steward your mind? Are you stewarding your intellect? I mean, the church more recently has been uh, criticized for how shallow of thinkers we can be because we're not spending time listening and learning God's word. We're not listening and speaking with one another. So this holiday season, I want to encourage you to do this. It's Advent season, and every season an opportunity for us to engage our mind and re-engage the story. We're going to do our things, right? We're going to put up the tree and sing the Christmas carols and eat a whole bunch of sugar that we probably really shouldn't be eating, giving and exchanging gifts. That's all good stuff. But this is also a season to renew our mind. It's a season to re-engage the scriptures and re-engage the story of, of why is it, does it even matter that Jesus came as a baby? And what was Jesus, what did he come to do? And what was he trying to accomplish? And so we've got this great resource from John Piper called Good News of a Great Joy. It's a daily uh, reading for Advent season. I think it's 30 readings. So starting tomorrow, 30, 20, sorry, 25 readings, 25 days in a row leading up to Christmas. And what John Piper does, he does a great job of engaging the Christmas story with scripture as well as the narrative. And it's a great opportunity to just be a learner this season to be refreshed in the story of God. And then how can you do it with other people? Last year, my kids and I and my wife, we actually did this together. And a lot of the language is over my kids' age because like, they're like seven to 10-ish, but it doesn't matter. We were engaging in the story. It was challenging to them. It was challenging to me to be in community together, learning. I know some community groups have taken this up for the season. They're actually gonna read this daily as a community group, and when they get together, they're actually gonna interface and interact over this uh, over this uh, daily advent. But that's just a way. Every season, we turn January 1st, how are you engaging your mind? When Easter rolls around, how are you engaging your mind? God, it's so beautiful. God didn't ask you or want you just to do stuff. All right, he wants to influence and help you change in the way that you think. That from your thinking, from your rational person, thus from your heart, would your life come? And would you then grab a hold of your identity as a son and daughter of the high king. Let me pray to end us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. You're a good God who gives good gifts and you've lavished your mercies on us. You've saved us. You are a gift, the gift, the best gift we ever could receive. When we ask God, would you encourage, would you challenge, would you show us how it is that we can engage our minds? God, would you give us boldness because to be honest, to be a learner, to ask our questions, to share our doubts, it feels vulnerable. It's scary. But God, will we do that 
that we could engage with our community and engage our scriptures, that we could come to learn, to learn who our God is, to learn the life that he desires to provide for us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.